many ways that we could go this morning as we are getting ready to preach this service. We could speak all day about our whole time about Memorial Day and about the value of remembering. We could also speak about Pentecost. Pentecost is the celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. We talk about that. Today, however, we're going to continue on in our flyover of the, of the Old Testament, of the Torah. Today, we're going to look at the book of Numbers. Some have called it the book of the numberings. Um, some have called it the fourth book of Moses. Maybe it's on the road again with Moses and Aaron. Some scholars call it the book of the wanderings. This morning, I titled my sermon, The, the Wander Years. We've got a video. Again, it's a little lighter than the last one, but we've got a video um, to look at the book of Numbers. So let's show that video as well. The book of Numbers gets overlooked, partly because it has a really boring name. Which is a shame. In the Hebrew tradition, the book's name is Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. And it's an epic travel log about Israel's journey through the desert on their way to the land promised to Abraham. Now this pilgrimage should only take about two weeks on foot. But instead it takes them about 40 years. That's crazy. It's practically half of someone's lifetime. Yeah, it's a very long camping trip with lots of interesting stories, but... Let's remember, it's most helpful to back up and start with how this book is designed. Right. So the book is broken up into five sections. There are three wilderness locations broken up by two road trips that link all the pieces together. The first wilderness section is Mount Sinai, right here on the map. And then in the second section, they travel to a region called Paran. A whole bunch of things happen here in the wilderness of Paran. And then in this fourth section is Israel's road trip to Moab. The book ends with a large section in the wilderness of Moab, right across the Jordan River from the Promised Land. Now, through all of these sections, the storyline just flows like a gripping dramatic movie. Everything starts great, but then the trip goes horribly wrong, and it all ends with the final redemptive moment, the surprising act of God's grace. So let's jump into this story. It all begins at the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and we've become really familiar with this mountain. Yeah, if you remember, Israel came here after Egypt, and they formed a covenant with God here, got the Ten Commandments here, built the tabernacle here, and they've been at this mountain for one full year. And now they take a census to number the people as they prepare to leave. Right, and they're given these instructions for how to organize all those people in the camp. God's presence in the tabernacle, and then the tribe of Levi and the priests around it, and then the rest of the tribes around them. And this pattern, it's this visual symbol for how God's holiness is at the center of their existence as a people. And they're told that when the cloud of God's presence moves, they're to pack up and travel with it. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant is carried by the Levites out in front, and then the tribe of Judah, and on and on. And this order is also a symbol for how God's holy presence is their leader and guide through the wilderness. We begin the second section of the book with enthusiasm as they leave Mount Sinai and travel up to Paran. God's with them, everything's organized. This is gonna be great. But it's not great. After just three days on the road, the people are complaining about their hunger and thirst, and then even Moses' brother and sister start bad-mouthing him in front of all the people. Not a great start. But now we're into the third section, the wilderness of Paran. 
This is where they send the 12 spies to scout out the promised land. Two of those spies come back and they're really optimistic. But the other 10 are freaked out and they don't trust God and they go around saying, we're gonna get annihilated in there. And so they start a mutiny and they try to appoint a new leader who's gonna take all the people back to Egypt. And so basically they are refusing to go into the promised land and God honors their choice. He says that this generation is going to wander for 40 years and die in the wilderness and only their kids will get to enter the promised land. You know, this story here gets brought up many times in the Bible by different authors. Yeah, and it always serves as a reminder that while God remains faithful to his people and his promises, he will honor their choices. He'll, he'll let them waste their whole lives if they choose to live in rebellion. Okay, so the trip's been a disaster so far. And it gets worse here in this fourth section as they're traveling to Moab. Even Moses has a moment of rebellion and is disqualified from entering the promised land. Then there's another rebellion among the people that results in this snake attack. And what makes all these rebellions even worse is that every step of the way, God has been providing. He's been offering forgiveness. He's been giving them food and water and this crazy stuff called manna. Yeah, what is that stuff? Yeah, no, no idea. But in spite of all this, they keep complaining and they say that they wish they had died in slavery in Egypt. If I was God, I would just give up on these guys. You would think. But that's what makes this story in the final section so surprising. Israel has just arrived in Moab, and the king of Moab, he's freaked out that this huge group of people is traveling through his land. So he hires this pagan sorcerer named Balaam to pronounce curses on them. This guy means business. Yeah, and so Balaam, he says, okay, I'm gonna pray to the Hebrew God and let's see what happens. And three different times he attempts to curse them, but each time he finds that he can utter only blessing. Most surprising is the last blessing where he prophesies that out of Israel will rise a victorious king. And this king is somehow gonna be connected to God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations through this family. So here's Israel rebelling down in the camp, totally unaware that up in the hills, God is protecting and even blessing them. The book ends here in Moab. Israel's getting ready to go into the promised land. They count up everyone again, just like at the beginning. They're leaving the old generation behind, including Moses. But before they leave Moses, he gives them his last words of warning and wisdom. And that speech is what the next book, Deuteronomy, is all about. This video is funded by 756 people. So we've gone through the first three books of the Bible. We've seen that God is creator of heaven and earth. We saw that he's, he's created it all. And we also saw that God had a plan right from the beginning to walk with humanity. He wanted to be with us. That's, that's what he wanted to do. And that all lasted until about Genesis chapter 3. It doesn't take us long to blow it at all. Genesis chapter 3 Adam and Eve sin, and we've spent the last several weeks uh, as we've looked through uh, the end of Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, we've looked at all the things that it takes for God to try to make his abode with us. What does it actually take for us to be in a place where we're holy enough where God can dwell with us? And we know through the book of Leviticus, that it's all about the ceremonies and all about the things that it takes for us to be clean in God's sight. God uses a man by the name of Abraham who soon turns into a family, soon, he was 100 years old when he had his first son, soon uh, turned into a family and then he turned into a clan and then eventually turned into the nation of Israel. 
And so we've watched over the past several weeks in Scripture how God has established relations with Israel, not only as a, established a re, relation, but he's also established a covenant with them, a promise that this is, I'll do my part, you do your part. We're going to walk together in this. And he lays out this whole plan of redemption. Now, again, we said in the last couple of weeks that the, the rules and the laws that we saw that seemed to be so difficult for us to read are really about God establishing morality for all times. This was never written down any place. We find that established in the book of uh, Exodus and Leviticus, mostly in Leviticus. And we see that God has also delivered his people, Israel, from literally 400 years of slavery. And the video that we just watched um, talks about, can I say it this way? Just how dense sometimes these people could be. Right? I mean, they just don't get it. Here they are at Mount Sinai. They've been at Mount Sinai for a year. And in that year's time, God has revealed himself in such a way that when Moses came down off the mountain after just having his face buried in a rock, he was so radiant that they said, put on a veil, cover your face, man. We can't take it. He's, he's etched with his finger. He's etched 10 commandments in stone. He's given them laws. He's given them all the, the declarations. This is what it takes to be clean. This is unclean this is this is what what it needs to what you need to do in order to have fellowship with me so much so he built this temple and he himself has has taken up residence in this temple god has done everything that he can right what else was he going to do what else could he do he's done everything on their behalf and now he wants to send them on another journey uh, moses met with the lord and God says to him, to Moses over the, the Ark of the Covenant, God speaks to Moses and he said, I've got a property, a land, a place for you. It's just a few miles from here. I need you to take the children of Israel, line them all up, count them, number them. We're going to do, a, do a, a, a bit of a census. I want you to number them all, a number of these families. And then I want you to march from here to there. Now, if we, we read in the book of Deuteronomy that this actually should have been an 11-day journey. 11 days. Remember that. 11 days. And so here they are, three days into this journey, and they start grumbling. They're murmuring. Boy, you know, we really, it wasn't so bad in Egypt after all. I mean, sure, we had to make bricks without rocks or without, without hay and all that stuff, but, you know, we got food. I know, it was just like, leeks and onions and stuff, but it was, we had food, we had a food. Oh boy, somebody should take over Moses' job. What do you think? Should we nominate somebody to take over? I think, and they're grumbling, and they're grumbling, and they're grumbling. Well, here's the deal. God takes that personal. Why does God take it personal? Because God was the one who delivered them. Did Moses deliver the children of Israel? All he did was walked in front, Right? He carried the staff. He was the one who was listening to God. But Moses did not deliver Israel. God delivered them. And, and he didn't, he just let them slip out the back door when no one was looking, right? Two million people just kind of slipped out the back door, of Israel, right? Is that how that happened? 
No, that's not how. He did it in a spectacular way. You're going to go out, and if the Pharaoh's not going to let you go, I'm going to make it so that he lets you go. We read about that. I'm going to harden his heart. If he won't listen to that, I'll send a few plagues. We'll turn some water into blood. We'll send some locusts. We'll do some things. Finally, he's going to take the firstborn of every person who doesn't put blood on his, on his doorpost. And God does all this. And then he said, when you leave, I'm going to make sure that they give you all that you're going to need. So they've given, they're giving them money and they're giving them gold and they're giving them jewels. And then as they're leaving uh, Egypt... Pharaoh gets angry at himself. He gets angry at God. He gets angry at Moses. So he decides he's going to track him down. Here's Moses standing at the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, Moses, God says, lift out your staff. He holds out his staff. And the sea parts. Get that picture in your head. I'm sorry. But the sea stood up on each side. And two million Israelites walked through on dry ground. You say, well, maybe, maybe it just wasn't, maybe it was just a little creek. Okay, if it's a little creek, how did it drown Pharaoh and all of his men? Because that's what happened. They get through on the other side. Pharaoh and all of his chariots and his army, they're all coming in after him, and the sea closes up, and they're all dead, right? Pretty spectacular God. He does this in fine fashion. Speaks to the children of Israel out of Mount Sinai. Writes on stone tablets. He's there. He's doing. He wants to be present with his people. And three days into a difficult journey, three days into an 11-day journey, we're eight days away. Eight days. We're just eight days from the promised land. Doggone Moses. I can't believe. God takes that personal. And he's like, all right, Fine. You don't want to go into the promised land? No promised land for you. And if you read through this like I read through this, I think, gosh, these guys are really morons. You know, but here's the deal with God. God is inviting them. I want you to understand this. God, it's like God is sending out an invitation. He's not sending out a summons. Right? What's the difference? The invitation says, Raymond, I got a party. I'd really like you to go to this party. You want to come and go to this party with me? I've got this great party. I've got an invitation for you, okay? God is sending out an invitation. It's not a summons which says, listen, you're going to this party whether you like it or not. But I don't want it. Sit down. <laughs> we think of God as this harsh being who's... who's you know, why did he get so mad at him? He invited them to a party. He's, he's inviting them. He wants to give them this land of promise. He's got something for them. And they, they reject it. I, I love what they pointed out in the videos that God will allow us to reject him. Hear that? Hear that? God will allow us to reject him. I know many people who've had prayer, who somebody's prayed for them, there's been a, a word of knowledge or a word, boy, you know, God wants to do something really special in your life and they go on living their life as though God has not spoken to them and they wonder why God hasn't done something. It's because God's not going to send you a summons. 
You and I know people. You know people who have been in church. I know people who have been in church 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, 40 years. I'm going to say it, okay? I'm going to say it. And they're still filling their diaper, and they're still wetting their pants, and they're still sucking their thumb, and they're wondering, why doesn't God do anything in my life? I'm going to quote my dad here, most of it. My dad would say, it's time you get off your dead butt and on your dying feet and do something about it. One more time. God has a plan for us, but he's not going to do it all for you. He's not. He is not. He's not going to do it all for us. He requires something of us. Again, as we read through, we'll be reading through Deuteronomy. This was an 11-day journey. We're three days in, and they just can't put up with it for the next eight days. You know, if... Okay, I'm not going to go there. God even... So he's, he, he knows what's going on in the camp, and God tries to invite them into the process. I, please, I want you to think about this. I want you to... to Get a hold of this. He invites him into the problem. He's like, okay, look, here's the deal. I know you're starting to grumble a little bit. Things are going on. Moses, why don't you pick 12 spies, one from each tribe. Send them over. I want you to get a look at the promised land. I want you to see what's going on. And what do they see? Giants. That's all they see is giants. That is all they see. They don't see the blessing. They don't see what God has done for them. They don't see all they see So in Numbers chapter 13, in verses 1 through 3, the Lord says to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am am giving to the Israelites. Here's a gift. I'm going to give this to you. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, all of them were leaders of Israelites. Leaders. Leaders. They were leaders from each tribe. Leaders. God sends them out. I want you to see what I'm giving you. I want you to see the blessing that is there. They have already witnessed. They have already witnessed the miraculous way that God brought them out of Egypt. They've already witnessed the plagues. They've already witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They've already witnessed Pharaoh's army being drowned. They've already witnessed manna from heaven. Every morning they wake up and there's manna on the ground. This has gone on for a year. Nobody knows what it is. They can't figure out the recipe. It's frosted flakes from heaven. That's all it is. That's all they know. There's quail every day. Just go out and wring a neck and you get yourself some Fresh quail. Every day, they don't have to hunt. They don't have to figure out what's going on. They don't have to plant gardens. They don't. God's providing for them every day. Say that with me. Every day. Every day, he's providing for them. And they don't get it. Well, maybe we should go back to Egypt. We wouldn't have to walk so far. You've forgotten. You're slaves. God is, he's on their side. So he sends them out to to view this thing, and they come back. Well, listen to their reports. Numbers chapter 13. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community 
at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. Kadesh Paran is what it's called. We'll, we'll read about that later. There they reported to all of them, to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And then Moses, uh, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites that lived in Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and all the other parasites that lived in the hill country, and the Canaanites that lived near the sea along the Jordan. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. I want you to understand what took place. These 10 guys come back and they got everybody's, and they're getting them all amped up. Man, you should have seen how big they were. I'm telling you, they were monsters. They were huge. Yeah, there, was, there were grapes that were this size and watermelons like this and the land was flowing with milk. But you should have seen the giants. You should have seen it. It's bad. We're going to get trounced, man. They're going to wail on us and the whole congregation, the whole assembly of the people starting to get amped up. Oh, boy, I don't know if we should go. Oh, should we go? I don't know. Boy, that sounds really bad. Sounds really bad. Moses must have missed it. God must want, not want us to do this. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And it's getting so, there's so much rumblings going on that Caleb has to silence the crowd. Hey, 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 hey. I was there. I was there. Listen, let, let me tell you what I saw. Have you ever heard, have you ever seen a crowd of people just kind of, uh, it just starts to escalate? Caleb's like, hey, man, I was there. He silenced the people before Moses. And he said, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can do this. Man, did you see how God separated the Red Sea? He took out the Pharaoh. So there's giants. Let's go after them. Let's become giant killers. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it now. Caleb realizes they're only eight days away from this victory. We lose sight of that. We lose sight of the fact they're eight days away from this. And Caleb is trying to, to tell him what's going on. But the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people there were, the, were of great size. They were giants is what the King James says. We saw Nephilim there, uh, the descendants of Anak who come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. Guess where they were stuck? They weren't stuck in thinking about the Red Sea. They weren't stuck in thinking about the victory. They weren't stuck in thinking about coming out of uh, Egypt. All they were stuck on was, these guys are huge. And we seem like ants in their sight. We're just little. We can't do anything. You know, they're so big, they're going to beat us all up. They're going to take away our birthdays. They don't talk at all. These 10 don't talk at all about the power of God. They don't talk about the promises of God. They don't talk about the victories of God. They're stuck in their own tiny mindset of who they are. You say, well, okay, what does it have to do with us? has everything to do with us. It has every, the New Testament says so much about this passage of Scripture, it's, it's almost unbelievable how much is in the New Testament. 
What does Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, 4, 4 and 5 says? 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways, and he will make your path straight. Are they doing any of that? It's just a giant. It's just a giant. It's just a giant. Anybody here ever faced a giant? Three of you. I don't believe you. I think there's more than that. And we've all faced giants. There's stuff in our life we have no way to overcome on our own. What are we going to do? Let's run away. Let's hide. I got one. Let's run back to addiction. I got one. Let's run back into a bad relationship that we know is horrible. I got one. Let's, let's, let's just do those things that we've always done and expect God to do something different. God's saying, stop it. Grow up. Take a stand. Believe in me. Put your trust in me. You might actually have to step out in faith and do something a little different. Don't go back to the garbage. Don't go back to Egypt. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Ultimately, God is so displeased that he's like, fine, if that's the way you want it, go ahead and do it. Do what you want to do. But guess what? They're still following a cloud, right? That's how they're moving throughout the day. They're still trying to follow this cloud. They would not listen to Joshua and Caleb. They refused, they refused the promise of God. Hear that? They refused the promise of God. I know people. I, you know people. But I feel like God is telling me to do this. What should I do? It. Do what? Do what God's told you. I'm not sure that I can. Well, then quit asking him. Quit asking him for his direction. Quit asking him for his leadership. Quit. If God, if you're asking him and he prompts you to do something, do it. Step out in faith. Make that change. Don't run back to the old way. It takes a growing. It takes a maturing. God's trying to grow us up. He wants us to move. The Bible says he wants us to move from glory to glory. He wants to see us grow. He wants to see us mature. He wants to see us doing things we've never done before. And he'll do that, but he'll only do that as we obey him, as we walk in that light. The application of this for believers is astronomical. The Bible says that Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. All those things are ours. That is the promised land. We get to walk in that if we choose to. But so many times we'd rather look at the situation and go, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Where's your hope? Where's your life? Where's your peace? Where's the prince of peace? Where's the joy that God offers us? I, uh, I, uh. You might need to go in your prayer closet. You might need to get away. You might need to say to your spouse, look, we got to get away and we got to talk about it. We got to figure this out. How are we going to move forward? We need help. You got you to look at something. We had a reference to this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the Apostle Paul and he's writing. 
And he said, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were under the cloud and that they passed through the Red Sea. Who's he talking about? He's talking about these people, right? He's talking about Israel. He's talking about them right here. They were baptized into Moses. They were under Moses' leadership in the cloud and in the sea, and they ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. A rock, a rock, a, a rock is following them through the desert. You all have never thought about that. A rock is following them through the desert. And not only is it following them through the desert, but it gives them water to drink every day. Do we believe it? That's what it says. A rock. We talked about this a couple times before. That's what's called a Christophany, right? It's a, Christ, it's a, it's a picture of Christ before his birth. He's God. He's showing up on the scene. What do they need? They need water. Where are they going to get it? We don't have time to dig a well, so they're going to get it from a rock. Who's the rock? Jesus said, I'll be the rock. And I'll roll your troubles away. Sorry, couldn't, couldn't resist. <laughs> Verse 5, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered through the wilderness. Then he says this to the church, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Paul said, look, you want to grow from this experience? Read what they did and don't do it. Don't do what they did. Don't be idolaters, verse 7, as some of them were, as it's written. The people sat down and they ate and they drank and they got up to indulge in revelry. In other words, they did not care one lick about what God was doing for them. They didn't recognize what God was doing. They sat down. They had a party. Let's have some supper. We'll have something to drink. Now let's have, let's have a party. We're not going to take the time to think about what God has done on our behalf. How often, folks, how often do we sit and really think about what God has done on our behalf? How often do we get alone and ponder that? And turn to the God of creation and say, God, you saved me from so much. You were here. You were here. You were here. I saw you here. I saw what you did there. How often do we give God glory and give him credit for that? How often do we make him the king of kings in our life instead of some other idol? I could go off on the whole idolatry thing for a long time, but I can't because of time. We could spend a whole long time as a people talking about idolatry. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. No, you're not. No, you're not. You are a temple. No, you're not. No, you're not. You are a temple. No, you're not. No, you're not. You are a temple. You are a temple of the Holy Ghost. Filled with praise, filled with power, and filled with glory. Do we walk around like the temple of the Holy Spirit? Or do we walk around looking like an old beat-up fish house. Anything goes, man. Just do what I want to do. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to live my I'm going to do those things that make me happy. Jesus never says in here, do those things that make you happy. Right? 
What does he say? Lay down your lives one for another. Care one for another. Pray one for another. Bless one another. Serve one another. Never are we told, do what makes you feel good. If you like, hey, if that's good for you, then that's good for you. We're never told that. You know what that leads to? That leads to wandering in the wilderness. That's what it leads to. I'm just going to do it my way. Well, welcome to the desert. The children of Israel wandered in the desert for 38 years and 10 months until they were all dead. Till that generation died off. And Paul says in the New Testament, don't do that. Verse 2, he is, uh, wait a minute, sorry, wrong one. And they do not grumble as some of them did. They were killed by the destroying angel. Do not test Christ as some of them did. They were killed by snakes. These things have happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. This is the end of the age. You saw all that. It's all written down. Don't do that. Grow up, church. Grow up, believers. If you're following God, remember the things that he did that are good, the things that God has done that should build and encourage faith. Quit grumbling. He goes on, and this is kind of a hit. If you think you're standing firm, be careful. Be careful. Be careful. I can gossip just a little bit. Be careful. Be careful. You're on an edge. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. My dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we are given which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ, is not the bread that we break, participation in the body of Christ. He's talking about doing communion. Isn't that part of thanksgiving? Isn't that part of recognizing what God has done? Isn't that part of keeping us from doing stupid stuff? I had a dream about somebody just the other day, and I shared it with them. I'm not going to share all the details, but what I did in this dream, what I recognized was this person had authority to guide a, a yacht. And I couldn't think what, I couldn't figure out what that meant. I couldn't figure out what that meant. I woke up in the morning and I thought it was this and that and I went back to sleep and God took me back to that same dream, which he never does. He took me back to that same dream. And when I woke up, I recognized exactly what it was. That yacht was that person's life. I knew in this dream that the yacht did not belong to them. Your yacht, your life does not belong to you. You've been bought with a price. Somebody paid for your freedom, right? Do we believe that? Oh, six of us. Do you believe that your life was bought with a price, that Jesus paid the price for your salvation? Do we believe that? Can we agree on that? Then whose life is it? His. It's his life. I have the authority to run it any way I want. He'll let me do it. But it's his. He bought my life, and I'm going to stand accountable someday for the things that I did in it. He's telling these people, don't follow after those old idols. Don't follow after sexual immorality. Don't follow after all these. It's going to destroy you. I speak. He says, I speak to sensible people. I think you're sensible, right? I think you're reasonable. 
The guy's got a heart attack, gets out of the hospital, had open heart surgeries, oxygen, take off the oxygen so you can have a smoke. That's not reasonable. Right? Happens all the time. It happens all the time. I've got friends, I've got relatives, open heart surgery, smoke. What, what, where's the disconnect? What don't you get about this? Hebrews. You can continue reading about this in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, and I would strongly recommend that you do. But I want to point out, I'm, I'm not a three-point preacher, but here you go. I'm going to point out three, three things out of Hebrews that Paul, or that the writer of Hebrews writes about the children of Israel in the book of Numbers. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, you share in a heavenly calling with God. You share in that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've accepted Christ, you share in a heavenly calling. He says, first of all, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. How do I get past some of this stuff, Pastor? How do I get past it? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Well, I got this problem in my life. I got this. Stop looking at the giants. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. Fix your eyes on him. Quit telling God how big your giants are and start telling your giants how big your God is. Because he's bigger. He's bigger. Fix your eyes on Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means fix your eyes. Set them. It's Jesus first. Fix them. Well, but I want to fix your eyes on Jesus. I don't know how to explain it. Stop looking around. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stop looking at the problems. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. Jesus is glorified and lifted up. Fix your eyes on him. This is my problem. I don't care what your problem is. I'll pray for you. I love you. Get your eyes on Jesus. First, that's the first thing. He goes on. I'm going to skip a couple of verses here. I mean, every one of us at one time, we've, we've wandered, we've drifted, we've seen giants. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The second thing, in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7, 7 to 12. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, the Holy Spirit says, if you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tired me. Do you get that? They wore out God. He's getting tired. I'm sick of hearing about this. You're testing me. I keep telling you what to do and you keep telling me your problems. That is why I was angry against that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they've not known my ways. Why? Because they weren't fixed on the answer. So I declared in an oath 
on an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Fix your eyes on Jesus and you do whatever it takes to make sure that your heart doesn't get filled with sin and unbelief. As soon as we begin walking in sin and unbelief, and you know what that looks like in our life? That looks like a lot of excuses. Well, you know, I really want to follow God, but I kind of got this little thing, and it's not a big deal. It probably is. It probably is. Well, you know, I got just this little sin in my life. It's probably not. Sin does not come in colors and sizes. There's not, you know, it's kind of, sin's kind of a one-size-fits-all. If it's sin, it's sin, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Think about it this way. Think about this little white sin that's in your life. Think about this little white sin. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus and his eyes are fixed on you, are you still going to do that? Because if you won't do it with his eyes fixed on you, and when your eyes are fixed on him, you probably ought not do it. Right? Now, am I saying that's what you have to do to get right with God? No, I'm saying that's the result of being right with God. That's the result of being. That's not what's going to get you into heaven. That is a result. We have the kingdom of God within us. The Bible says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Where's your hand? It's here. It's here. The kingdom of God is here. He dwells in us. He takes up residence with us. He tabernacles with us. He wants us to walk in right relationship with him. The final thing, the third of the three points in Hebrews chapter 3 and 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If you're sitting around and all of a sudden you think to yourself, you know, I probably ought to give Bob a call. Guess what you should do? Give Bob a call. Don't wait until you find out that Bob hasn't come to church and he's not coming back to church because nobody ever called Bob. Right? Oh, I don't know, pastor. I'm not a pastor. That's your job. No, my, my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Woohoo! It's your job all of a sudden. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, then guess what you should do? Do it! Whatever he's calling you to do, and I could give you great examples of men and women in this room who have done just that thing and have changed people's lives transform people. Why? Because God wants to work in us and through us. 38 years and 10 months and God just let them, let them go, let them go, go do your thing, do your thing, do your thing. You want to wander? You want to wander? You don't want to go into the promised land? But I'm telling you, for you and I, there is a promised land. There is a peace. There is a joy. There is a life and a hope that we can walk in today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we would walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit, that as you speak to us, just like that cloud, instead of being under a cloud, we're going to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You speak to us, and we're like, all right, let's do it. Instead of hardening our heart, instead of not listening, instead of following after our own idols and doing things our way, God, it's our hope, it's our desire, it's our, it's our, it's our heart to want to follow after you, God. Give us the wisdom and the courage to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.
couple more things we had to pray for. Be praying for uh, Terry, uh, Terry Ames. He's really struggling with some blood issues. Alan Schoenberger is in the hospital out in California. Father, we ask you to touch these gentlemen. We ask you to be with them. We ask you to bless them. We ask you to heal them in Jesus' name. Amen? Uh, we have a, a, a rummage sale meeting going to happen right over here for about 10 minutes. If you're going to be part of the rummage sale in any way, shape, or form, stop by for just a couple of minutes. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. And Joseph is looking for, talk to him if you're going to help him out.